Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, happenings, and history of West Seattle intersect. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. In this episode, we celebrate the finally reopened West Seattle High Bridge through inspiring works of poetry dedicated to our various methods over the years of crossing the Duwamish River. This episode of Always West Seattle is a program of the Southwest Seattle Historical Society, and we'd like to begin by acknowledging that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people, past and present, and we honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish tribe. Well, in case you've been living under a rock or maybe on the remote western edge of Alki, the high bridge connecting West Seattle to the rest of the city has finally reopened after two and a half years of being completely shut down. The people of West Seattle responded to this major disruption in a myriad of creative ways, from creating new nicknames for our neck of the woods, such as Accidental Island, to finding new ways to navigate on and off the Duwamish Peninsula. One such overnight escape route was the Holden Street to Highland Parkway detour that brought massive amounts of rush hour traffic to maxed out residential streets. And while it couldn't have been easy for the people who suddenly found themselves living next to a near constant stream of cars, one group of people at the Highland Park Improvement Club launched an effort to make the experience a little more pleasant for everyone. To hear more about it, we talked with local poet and Highland Park Improvement Club member, Judith Kamen. So what's your background as a poet? Poetry's been always in my life. My parents read it when we were very little. Then I think it was my fifth grade teacher who really turned me on to poetry. And I'm also a Seattle public school teacher, and I have been able to teach poetry in my classes. Oh, cool. Where do you teach? I'm a special ed teacher, and my first position with Seattle Public Schools, I was working in a kindergarten, first, second grade with kids with behavioral and academic challenges. Mm -hmm. And I was able to incorporate poetry working with them. Mm. And last year, 20 years later, Mm -hmm. one of the students found me on Facebook and reached out to me. Wow. He has since moved to California, and he talked about Write in poetry. He said, remember all those books of poetry we would write and we would draw pictures? I still have some. Wow. Wow. I love that. I love so it's such an impact of language. That's amazing. Yeah. And then many years later, I was teaching at Franklin High School and I was teaching a self-contained classroom for high school students with intellectual disabilities. Mm-hmm. And every month I introduced a different form of poetry. Mm-hmm. And most of these students growing up had not done poetry in classes. Oh. Not so much that. Okay, so this was years ago. Right. That's when, like, they would pull kids to teach them the basics, and they would be missing the fun things. And I wanted to give that to them. Right. And it's, and a few years ago, out in the community, I have some strapping young man walk up to me, and he says, I know you. I said, you do? And he's, you were the poetry teacher at Franklin High School. <laughs> and I went, And it was such an honor to be called a poetry teacher, Uh which I wasn't exclusively, but he was one of those students who had never had poetry allowed Mm -hmm. through elementary and middle school because of his disabilities. But yet he totally continued to identify with that. So that, that that's really awesome. Yeah, he called you the poetry teacher because poetry is what left an impression on him, what made an impact in his life. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So and then I, I went on and I got my MFA in, in creative writing, poetry. And I, I read, I'm honored to read quite often with Drunken Owl Theater. 
which is a West Seattle performing arts, literary arts group head by Kevin Finney, and we perform at Jules May's monthly. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. How did you get involved with the Highland Park Improvement Club? Okay, so that's interesting. So living in Highland Park, I started to use their club, such an awesome social club. Yeah. And then I was asked to be a board member. Okay. Which is very exciting. And I was a, a board member at the time that we all went into isolation. Mm. And that's how the poetry started at the Highland Park Improvement Club. Yeah, tell me about where the genesis for this idea came from. So the Highland Park Improvement Club is a very social club. Yeah. You know, it, it's a social gathering, brings people for all kinds of venues. And there it was March 13th, 2020, and boom, everybody had to shut her up and go into isolation. Mm-hmm. And here we are as a board thinking, how can we connect with people? What can we do? This is what we do. And lots of ideas and lots of thoughts as we're trying to generate, like everyone was at that time, right? Right, right. And 10 days later, boom, the West Seattle Bridge closes. Yep. So people who are already feeling isolated and secluded over here, it's like, oh, oh. Yeah. And then here's another seclusion. Yeah. I was a big fan of uh, punk rock aerobics at the Highland Park Improvement Club. And boy, did mm. I miss that so bad when everything shut down. Oh, man. I used to go to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to go to that. Yeah. Actually, I think she's starting it up again. Yes. Just to let yeah. You know. yes she is. <laughs> the board member, Kay Kirkpatrick, who's another longtime board member and outstanding librarian and artist, mm-hmm. and I got together and we started to visualize this idea. Okay, so people are feeling separated, bridges closed, more separation, but yet we have more traffic coming through now, right? Mm. There's all these commuters on that road who never were. That road next to the Highland Park Improvement Club became like a major detour route for people to get off the peninsula. Yeah, it went from an unknown road to a thoroughfare like overnight. Mm. So Kay and I came up with this idea of let's do literary arts and fine arts. And how can we present it mm-hmm. to commuters, to pedestrians? And we had all these A-frame boards. Many realtors have been donating those to the Highland Park Improvement Club over the years mm-hmm. for our signage. So we had lots of those. I was like, we can do that. <laughs> okay, let's do that. And then we invited Kelly Lyles and Monica Cavanero, two other West Seattle artists, mm-hmm. to join our efforts. And thought, okay, let's do the Burma Shake. Our number one rule was we're not going to do anything political. We're not going to do anything controversial. We want to be a bright spot for people. Nice. Coming through, passing through. Mm -hmm. So that's how we first came up with the idea. And it's been really fun. It's been fun. It's been a challenge finding things to put on those boards because they're so small. It's not Right. right. And then the artistic abilities of Kay and Monica and Kelly are just outstanding. I'm sure as you've seen mm-hmm. them. And then on the back side, there's a poetry one side and on the back side, they've complimented that, but have kept the HPIC logo, mm-hmm. right? Because it's right out there in front of the club. How many different sets did you all put out? I think did six. Six of them. And how would you decide what the next batch or the next version would be? You know, it was different every time. Some of it was just an organic conversations. The one that was right before this was uh, the birds. Mm-hmm. Was the hope is the thing with feathers, Emily Dickinson. Mm-hmm. And Kay had had this bird book that she had been looking at. And she said, I really want to paint, paint up some birds. Mm-hmm. What can we do? So my major role in this artistic endeavor was to find quotes, was to find the poems. Mm-hmm. Um, we would think about it and I would do a little research and I would shoot them three or four or five different thoughts. And we would 
like unanimously agree like, oh, yeah, that's the one we all want. Mm-hmm. And it would be great. That was everybody's first choice. Until this last set, oh. which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Now, we decided we were going to take the bridge head on. Yeah. The first time we were going to make a political statement, current statement versus just the esoteric beauty of art. You consciously made an effort in all of the previous iterations of these signs, not to mention the bridge. It was about other things, right? Absolutely. And so now here we are mentioning the bridge and we're not shuttered anymore. People are connecting. The bridge is connecting us. And it's the first time the four of us started to unconnect. Mm-hmm. And of course, in a loving way, right. <laughs> fun. kind of a loving, fun way. Yeah. And so I'm finding all these bridge quotes and I'm sending them out. And it's the first time we couldn't agree. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, this is interesting. I'm going to take a step back and listen to what they like about which ones and what they don't. And I'm thinking about all the bridges. I'm thinking about structural bridges, the bridges of our nose, the bridges in music, spiritual mm-hmm. bridges, metaphorical bridges. And that's when I started to put the words together and came up with life is a bridge, a connection, because that's what we do in life. Life has connected you and me here together. That's right. right? It's all just a connecting. It connected me with my mail carrier early today, (laughs) right? It's just as we come along Mm -hmm. and it's without taking sides because life doesn't take sides. Mm -hmm. It's people who take sides. Right. As I had those thoughts, now that we're reconnecting, with the mainland, if mm-hmm. you will, right? <laughs> I wanted to offer the West Seattle community and our departing commuters a general way to connect, mm-hmm. to be the bridge without judgment, without separation. I wanted people to have a chance to think, oh, how can I go through life without taking sides? Mm-hmm. You know, but by finding connection just in our everyday journeys. Yeah. And I got that together and I put it out and Kay and Monica and Kelly were like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So again, we were a great group again. (laughs) (laughs) Life is a bridge, a connection without taking sides. I love that. And it really does speak to the whole story of what we've gone through. I mean, because there were a lot of different sides, a lot of debate about what to do about the bridge. Do we rebuild it? Do we fix it? Do we put in a sky gondola? Do we get people out of cars? <laughs> do we just go to light rail? I mean, there were there were a right. lot of different sides around what to do about this issue. And I think what is great about that is is it got people involved in their community in a way that they didn't before because this impacted so many people and i think it got people involved to to learn and maybe take a stand but also to 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 share their position and hear from other people about theirs and i think without taking sides is a really great final way to the cherry on top of this particular story <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of our Burma shape, the Highland Park Improvement Club Burma shape. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you'll do them again now that the Highland Park Improvement Club is no longer on this major shortcut route? Do you think you'll continue this kind of project? You know, we've bantered around with it. It's not necessarily completely abandoned, you know, especially with the project of the Highland Park Improvement Club being rebuilt after the fire. We want people to know we're still here and we still care about you and we still want to make connections with people as a club. Yeah, that's really great. Would you consider the West Seattle Bridge your muse now that you've written a poem about it? <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. That and um, Miss Williams, what was the first name? The bridge was named after oh, Jeanette, Jeanette Williams. Williams. Yes. Jeanette Williams. Jeanette Williams, right? Yeah. Jeanette Williams and the West Seattle Bridge. Yeah, those are great muses. Uh-huh. 
Absolutely. Thank you to you and your team at the Highland Park Improvement Club who took the initiative to just be creative and be thoughtful and bring joy to the community. I think it's really cool. And uh, I know so many people have been talking about this throughout our two and a half year journey to the end point of where we're at now. So thanks again and great work. Yeah, thank you for having us. Stay up to date with the Highland Park Improvement Club and help support their rebuilding efforts. Visit hpic1919.org for more information. Long before our broken bridge was even close to being repaired, there was already talk in the community about what would be done to celebrate its return. Some people wanted to throw a big party at the entrance to the bridge, with music and food and face painting, and others were hoping for the chance to walk or bike over the span with stunning views before it reopened to cars. But many people in West Seattle wanted to skip any so-called celebrations and just get back to normal, whatever that means when you live on a peninsula connected to a city that is also surrounded by water and has plenty of its own awful traffic. Ultimately, the Seattle Department of Transportation said a party was not in the works. But one small civic ceremony did take place, where current and former locally elected officials took their opportunity to get on a microphone and claim victory, along with labor and community leaders representing those who put so much time and energy into the enormous task at hand. Also present was Seattle's civic poet, Jordan Imani Keefe, who read a new poem she'd written about our restored bridge. I talked with Jordan to learn more about her role as Seattle's civic poet and her creative process that went into giving the bridge a voice of its own. Can you tell me a little bit about this program and how you came to be in that role? I am the third Seattle civic poet, and this program is designed to engage the public with poetry and a focus more specific than you might find from the generic title of a poet laureate with Mm -hmm. the intention that we really engage the community and really engage them in the work of our city. This role is the next iteration of the original poetry service role, which was Seattle Poet Populist, which I had the honor of serving in that role from 2006 to 2007 under city council's Nick Licata. So, Yeah, that's how it happens. And both are very focused and have been on civic engagement. It's really important for Seattle. Yeah. How did you come into this role yourself? It's an application process Mm -hmm. and submit your poems and go through a panel interview and a performance of your work and talk about why you want to do this particular job. And what's the starting point for a work in this role as the Seattle Civic Poet? Are you asked to work on certain things or do you make your own suggestions? How does that work? You are hopefully coming forward with a project idea that's your own that would meet the criteria of engaging the public and especially people who may not otherwise have an opportunity to access a writer and create poetry or access performances. So that's the broad focus for the city, especially prior to the pandemic. um, Our wonderful administrator, Irene Gomez, shared the vision of what department could you work with and serve or what interests you. And of course, my focus and passion is water that's unfolded in several ways. And how did this West Seattle Bridge related project come to be? 
I received an invitation or yes, an invitation. Would you like to recite a poem? And then after the conversation with the decision makers and the vision for how the commemoration might occur, I said, well, I could read something that isn't specific for the bridge, like my poem, Let Seattle Be Seattle. I could excerpt part of that, or I could create a new work. And so we agreed and we're all excited that I would, in fewer than 10 days time, create a new poem. <laughs> wow, that's fast. What was your creative process like for, for making this happen? First part, perspiration, and <laughs> <laughs> a significant amount of research, some of which was launched by links that everyone has access to more readily about the bridge. But spending a lot of time, as I always do, I research my commissioned work and hope for something that will speak to me. That could be a metaphor or a line that jumps off or an idea that grasps me. So I spent hours and hours, almost 40 hours in less than a week. So I didn't wow. sleep a lot wow. to find, yes, to find, to find something that would catch me. Yeah. So lots of drafts and... And what were some of the things that maybe inspired you or surprised you from your research? What surprised me is that the dictionary is no longer functioning because I grew up where you can't use a word to define a word. And uh -huh. I looked up cantilever and it, what cantilevered bridge would mean. And it said a bridge that's cantilevered. And I'm like, seriously, are you kidding me? <laughs> so <laughs> I had to investigate bridges around the world to really get an understanding and a visual for what that could possibly mean and how I could convey it to the public or find my own pun intended anchor in the poem. That was part of it. So you can understand a cantilever bridge is anchored in one spot and then leans straight out horizontally. <laughs> so the idea that our tongues are anchored by, I, I decided not to go down the rabbit hole of learning exactly the scientific name for what anchors our tongues and our mouths. But yeah. I thought about that and <laughs> that really caught me as well as a definition from another country that, that likened it to a diving board. So I borrowed that language in the poem. How much did the history of the bridge play into your creation, if at all? An enormous amount. Uh, that's where I spent a great deal of time after trying my best to understand what was happening and discovering that people were inside of the bridge repairing it during these heat waves and smoke crises that we've had. Then really, I say, wait a minute. I remember seeing a little green plaque on that bridge. Mm -hmm. And I looked up Jeanette Williams and I would be very happy if we begin to refer to the bridge as its proper name of the, the Jeanette, Jeanette Williams, Williams Memorial Bridge. I mean, we call or Jeanette Williams Bridge. We call the Jose Rizal Bridge, Jose Rizal. We don't call it the Beacon Hill Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I feel like point. I feel like it's really important, especially because it's the second time that a crisis faced the city. And here's this woman at a time when it wasn't like now where a woman would say, oh, I'm going to run for office and people, of course. And, you know, on the council with these two black men who are in there also with just a stunning photo and them laughing mm. and <laughs> talking. Yeah. And wow, I, I'm very impressed. And her work to create a footing for women in the city at a time that wasn't popular. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think she definitely was a trailblazer and a bridge builder, literally and figuratively. Correct. Have you written any other works in this civic role or outside that about a bridge or anything like it? I have never written a poem about a bridge. (laughs) Um, After I started digging around, the famous title that many people know and I allude to in the poem is This Bridge Called My Back Mm -hmm. is Cherry Moraga's work. And that popped out at me. And uh, some people might recognize I riffed off of James Baldwin's title to have it, If This Bridge Could Talk. This is when his, his novel, If Beale Street Could Talk. So I mean, what, what am I going to say about this bridge that hasn't already been said in the news? A lot has been said about it. <laughs> right? And who wants to hear that in a poem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As an artist, what did you take away from this experience? Wow. The magnificence of engineering and how I cannot fathom what gets into someone that says they're going to build a bridge and the history of bridges and you know, I really took away what I love the most, which is entering a subject matter, knowing nothing about it. And mm. often from the very first commissioned poem I wrote, I'll enter with a idea only to find out from my research that, no, that's not, it's not true, or that's not really where the poem is going to take you. And so I do love that process mm-hmm. and the stress for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's interesting how a bridge is something that we just take for granted. It's just something that we were all used to driving over multiple times. And it's not until either something goes terribly wrong with it, or that there's an artistic interpretation or, or rumination on it that really makes you stop and think, wow, this is amazing. It really is. And it really is three different types of poem. But I was told that I had three minutes. And I let them know that they were lucky they chose that amount of time or else they would have ended up with a ballad because there's <laughs> so much, you uh-huh. know. I would love it if you wouldn't mind reading your work for us here. Yes, I will. Thank you. If this bridge could talk. When I'm alone at night, not really alone, but with only the weight of myself bearing down on me, sometimes I crack. Sometimes I wait for the mountain, our quiet hush of dawn, but hush never came, only rush until suddenly, has it been 900 days? I feel your weight from dusk to every rising light, 100,000 stories moving across me, rubbing into the raised arch of my back like a cat startled, I feel on tiptoe, because the space between us is too wide too undone, too cut off from tributaries, this Duwamish that danced curves through salt and fresh, like a tongue speaking a language of rolling R's that knows itself best in the Schutzied. Broken, I had to be pulled, had to feel the tension and tightness to recover. Cantilever, they call me. Just one end holding the weight of myself, one end in concrete, a tongue stiff like a diving board, sticking straight out over the water, 
over what is not said. Like a woman's tongue. See, I'm named Jeanette, but so many places made absent. They call me something else instead of her name. On the other side, Milingua, a tongue anchored in air, tastes the oily sky, feels the passing bite, the slow chew of traffic through its neighbors and neighborhoods. Some bridges are backs, like a startled cat, a curved arch, legs straightened. Maybe I always knew I'd be broken, alone with only the weight of myself and so few crossing between factory puffs of smoke and the size of our unbent river. When I'm without the weight of you, I remember the woman I'm named after. I remember what I used to be called. Wow. <laughs> that is so great. Bravo. <laughs> Thank I, you. I absolutely love it. And I was thinking it, in all the time and all the things that all these people said about the bridge, what do we do about it? Do we fix it? Do we repair it? Do we tear it down and build a new one? No one bothered to ask the bridge. and you gave the bridge a voice that is a pretty interesting voice there's a lot there's a lot going on with that bridge i'll never look at it the same way again wonderful i won't either after doing my homework and thank you you know what there was a video someone posted because it's been so long since i'd driven over i commute to go to my chiropractor when required and the view back to Seattle when the mountain is out is what was captured on this video. Mm-hmm. And that had a strong impact. And it's all happened during this time of disorientation of COVID, of mm-hmm. isolation mm-hmm. and changes to women's lives. Yeah. And it's a significant time for even just metaphorically a bridge to be closed. Absolutely. But it really happened to all of us and to the bridge. It sure did. Follow Jordan Imani Keefe on Twitter at GriotWorks and learn more about the Seattle Civic Poet Program at seattle.gov arts. Speaking of Jeanette Williams, let's fire up the Jeanette Williams Memorial Time Machine once again to take a trip back to the years before we had a high bridge or a low bridge or even cars to drive over either one with our special guest, local historian and executive director emeritus of the Southwest Seattle Historical Society, Clay Eels. Back in the early 1900s and before we even had a high bridge or a low bridge going in and out of West Seattle, how did people get to and from West Seattle? Well, mainly they got to West Seattle from downtown by the water. This was the way that the Duwamish tribe got around, obviously, for thousands Mm -hmm. of years. And the fact that West Seattle is a peninsula and apart from the rest of Seattle, it makes sense that water would be the way to do it. And what people don't realize today, really, is that the land that is between West Seattle and, say, Beacon Hill and South Seattle 
and even downtown, that land wasn't always there more than 100 years ago. That was just mudflats. Mm -hmm. The Duwamish River wound through that area, but it was not stable land. And the river eventually in the teens was transformed by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers from a piece of spaghetti that wound around in circles to a more straighter, wider, and deeper channel for industrial purposes. Mm -hmm. And so they dredged a lot of dirt out of that area and they had to put it somewhere. Plus, the Denny regrade was happening north of downtown. They took down huge hills north of downtown and that dirt had to go somewhere and soon was created the, at the time, the largest human-made island in the world, Harbor Island. And finally, there was some stable land to put bridges on. But until that time, the most reliable way was by water. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? You can use a canoe, you can use other kinds of floating craft. Starting in 1888, we had the first ferry on Puget Sound, ran from downtown to the foot of our current Ferry Avenue today on Harbor Avenue, which then was called Railroad Avenue. Mm -hmm. And it it came across in eight and a half minutes and it got people back and forth starting in that year of 1888. And it ran for another two, three decades, as did another ferry started in 1907, the West Seattle Ferry. The eight minutes is pretty fast. It's a record that really hasn't been beaten. (laughs) (laughs) People today know of Salty's on Alki, the big Mm -hmm. restaurant, the view restaurant on Harbor Avenue. That used to be the Beach Broiler restaurant, but way before the Beach Broiler, it was Novelty Flour Mill, and they needed a railroad trestle to get flour from that mill and other industrial businesses along Harbor Avenue to, to the rest of the city and beyond. And that really began the railroad trestle transportation. And then soon we had some bridges. Yeah. And so the, the railroad trestle was sort of like the industrial connection. And for regular right. people just coming and going to Seattle, they would take these little foot ferries back and forth to downtown. And those foot ferries, if you missed your boat back, you were out of luck, right? Well, you were stuck on one side or the other until they started building these fledgling bridges. And the earliest of those bridges became a backup plan if you had good legs and could walk (laughs) a while. (laughs) So at the Loghouse Museum on the Sunday that the bridge first officially opened for the end of Summer Social, you did a great presentation about all things bridge and transportation to and from West Seattle, including a poem about the Spokane Street Bridge or the Spokane Bridge. Tell me a little bit about that. The poem, we don't know who the author is precisely, but it was printed in the West Seattle News, Mm -hmm. which was one of about a dozen newspapers that existed in the early 20th century before the West Seattle Herald began in 1923. And this poem is from May 1903. So they're talking about the first bridge across. And it's called the Spokane Bridge because that's the Spokane Street Corridor. People probably understand that all of the east-west streets in Seattle conform with the street names that are corresponding on the southeast part of the city in the Rainier Valley and so forth. So this is Spokane Street they're talking about. Before we get to the poem itself, can you help us set the scene? What was the Spokane Bridge like at the time that this poem was written? Well, it certainly was no comparison to the uh, high-level West Seattle Bridge we have now. Take yourself back to 1903. We didn't even have cars. Mm -hmm. 
most people didn't have cars. This was for streetcars. This was for foot traffic. And I don't think anybody at the time figured that this would be a permanent bridge. This was the beginning. And not very many people used it. It was not the kind of thing that you would normally walk over. It was just for sort of wagons and things like that. Absolutely. Horse-drawn, that kind of thing. All right. If you wouldn't mind, by command repeat performance, I would love to hear this poem across the Spokane Bridge. Sure. And imagine, writer of it, imagine you've got two lasses with you. Across the Spokane Bridge. We walked in April, late one night, across the Spokane Bridge. A gentle breeze, two maids and I, with narrow moon up in the sky. We had no fear of passerby across the Spokane Bridge. And the maidens talked as we sadly walked across the Spokane Bridge. But what they said should be written in red. It was not of the breeze or the bay so wet. It was about the boat we didn't get. Ere we crossed the Spokane Bridge. Oh, the miles were many, the way was long across the Spokane Bridge. But we got home at last before daylight. The maidens were rescued from their sad plight. Dear friends, I shall never forget the night we crossed the Spokane Bridge. It does sound like a a pretty memorable experience. A local Lord of the Rings type trek or something. (laughs) Yes, with the moon chasing you and and hoping that your legs hold up. That's quite a walk. (laughs) Yeah. I'm now wondering, well, how many other bridges have poems and songs written about them? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think it's maybe reflective of, uh, you know, there's a lot of creativity in our community. And uh, maybe it has more to do with the people that live here than the bridges that we build. That's very eloquently said, Keith. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Look for Clay Eel's ongoing explorations through Seattle's storied past in his Now and Then articles in the Seattle Times, and dive deeper into the unique history of the Duwamish Peninsula by becoming a member of the Southwest Seattle Historical Society. You can join right now at loghousemuseum.org. That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. Thank you so much to my special guests in this episode for sharing their talents and insights. If you like what you heard, help me build this community by leaving a great review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And it would be awesome if you shared this episode with your friends, neighbors, co-workers, and anyone you know who's ever driven over a bridge. We also appreciate your mentioning us in your posts on Facebook and Instagram, where our handle is Always Podcast. And if you've got a great idea for a story we should know about, drop us a line through either of those social media platforms or email keith at madewithbacon.com. Always West Seattle is a Made with Bacon production, all rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>